0: Hello and welcome to the Portfolio Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, John Bryson, Head of Investment Consulting and College Savings at John Hancock Investment Management. Today is September 1st, 2022, and summer is coming to a close. We've got kids going back to school, parents celebrating equity and fixed income markets uh, getting volatile again. So we're ready for the fall. To navigate all of the different things we need to consider, I've invited back popular guests, Emily Rowland and Matt Miskin, our Co-Chief Investment Strategist at John Hancock Investment Management, to help us navigate what's going on. Matt and Emily, welcome. Thanks,
1: John. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Emily, I want to start with you. Both stocks and bonds saw a nice bounce in the middle of the summer, let's call it mid-June to mid-August, but they're struggling again as we head into September. What's behind the recent volatility?
2: Yeah, John, so the the U.S. stock market rally almost perfectly coincided with oil prices retreating, inflation fears moderating, and bond yields correspondingly falling. So if you look at WTI oil prices, we got to a high of about $122 a barrel in, in early June, and then fell to a low of eighty five dollars a barrel in, in mid August here, and, and we really saw, you know, fears starting to emerge that, you know, maybe demand for oil would fall in a global recession. And then those falling oil prices really helped inflationary readings moderate. So the July headline CPI reading came in at eight point five percent, which of course is very, very elevated, but. Much less than expected, and core inflation came in less than expected as well at five point nine percent. You know so again, still very elevated levels, but you know providing some pretty solid evidence that inflation, you know may have peaked in the first quarter of this year. Um, Matt and I also watch um, this uh, ISM survey data really closely, uh, manufacturing data and services data, and in particular, the prices paid component of the survey data has been tumbling, which is really to us added to the peak inflation narrative. So all of this good news on the inflation front really prompted investors to anticipate or start to price in a Fed pivot. Um, We actually at one point saw futures markets pricing in three Fed rate cuts in 2023 based on the idea that maybe inflation wouldn't be all that bad. Uh, Then all of those things suddenly started to, to work in reverse. You know, most importantly, we we started hearing a, a chorus really of, of Fed officials just really pushing back hard on the idea that rate cuts are coming next year and really reiterating that they are completely resolute in their goal of, of bringing inflation down. We had uh, Chair Powell's uh, very short and very direct speech in, in Jackson Hole really kind of shutting the door pretty firmly on the idea of a Fed pivot. And on top of that, we've seen some better than expected economic data uh, in recent weeks, which, of course, is is great for the economy. But it's a a pretty clear indication to us that the Fed's job is just not done. Um, So in the month of July, for example, we added a whopping 528,000 new jobs to the U.S. economy, and we saw wage growth pick up. Um, We saw job openings, you know, they had been falling, they rose again, uh, just this week to over 11 million. So well, well above estimates. And now we're back to two job openings for every unemployed person. Um, And then the ISM new orders index, that's another component of that survey data that I mentioned earlier, and one of our favorite leading indicators um, actually rose in August, um, after declining the previous two months. And then, at you know, oil prices started to pick back up. So all of this is really added to sort of a, a reemergence of inflation fears, which has pushed up bond yields. Um, and then to add insult to injury, um, we've also seen a, a move to a potentially more hawkish ECB. So we'll be watching the ECB meeting next week. There's a potential for them to raise rates by 75 basis points. So there's been a big backup in sovereign yields, which has bled over here. To rates in the U.S. So, so just to kind of put it all together and tie a bow around it, you know, we've seen this sort of macro risk pendulum swinging from we have an inflation scare, then there's a growth scare, back to an inflation scare, which has really, you know, created these big swings across the markets, and you know, frankly, created confusion among a lot of the investors that we talk to. You know, we continue to remind them that. This is fairly typical of a late cycle environment. Um we should see some choppiness here in, in bond yields and choppiness in the economic data. You know, eventually the Fed, you know, typically wins out and and, and growth becomes a bigger concern to the markets than inflation, but it may take some time here, you know, for that pendulum to settle.
0: Gotcha. So we were having a nice middle summer there and then the parents at the Fed said it's time to do your summer reading. Don't forget about that. All right. So, hey, Matt, with all that kind of at play, we've got some new volatility to worry about in the marketplace, both in equities and fixed income here and abroad. How are you thinking about asset allocation in this environment?
1: Yeah. So in in market intelligence, what we did to begin the quarter was we went neutral stocks, bonds, and we had a modest overweight to equities really since um, the end of 2020. And really what we were you know looking at before was an expanding economy rising earnings um and what we saw really develop as emily was talking about is a late cycle di- uh di- you know backdrop unfolding over the course of the summer and so that's when we pivoted more neutral on stocks bonds and then within the, each of those buckets we moved to more quality parts of the market and more defensive parts of the market so Uh, Thinking about on the equity side, for example, earnings uh, estimates have have held in okay. For the S&P 500 at the beginning of the year, the estimate for 2022 was 10%. It's now 8%, which isn't that bad, all things considered. But in our view, that's probably going to come down some more. And we want to find those companies that can hold up earnings the best. Uh, So whether that's the quality type businesses with good balance sheets, good margins, good cash flow, Uh, or even defensive parts of the market. Think about utilities or things that are more about what people need versus what they want, less cyclical businesses. So that's what we've done on the equity side. And then on fixed income, we've trim risk there as well. Uh, Credit has actually held in really well amidst all this volatility that Emily has uh, described. Um, But in our view, you know, the lower quality businesses are going to struggle with this higher cost of capital, these these higher interest rates that they're going to have to pay. And the better businesses are going to hold up better, are, are going to be able to pay those interest payments to holders. And so, in the fixed income space, still looking at investment grade corporate bonds, mortgage backed securities. Um, and even municipal bonds, we've we've added as a as an overweight in market intelligence. And so, looking for high quality income, we're now close to five percent in terms of these high quality yields. Treasuries are you know three, um, but you go to securitized or corporates or even muni's um, on a tax equivalent basis, you're looking more like four to five. Um, so, if we can get four to five on the fixed income side, we can have on the equity side uh, earnings hold up for the companies we're looking to allocate to, uh, we think those are decent places. But quite frankly, we may need to look out of the box a little bit more uh, in this late cycle environment because managing risk is becoming more difficult. Um, and that's certainly something we can discuss more.
0: Yeah, let's, let's do that. I mean, we've talked in the past about you know long-term investing and risk management and things that are critically important in a portfolio. And we spend a lot of our time talking about equities and fixed income as the core components. But there are other options out there, alternatives uh, specifically, that can play a role in a portfolio. Um, Talk to me about uh, alternatives. Talk to me about infrastructure opportunities on the equity side and how people can put different, more unique um, asset classes into play in their portfolio.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's really, you know, the more we we go through this late cycle environment, the more we're looking at alternatives opportunistically here. And, and you know, I was talking about utilities, for example, on the equity side. And, and And if you wanted to map that over in terms of defensive equities and utility type businesses on the alternative space, it would be infrastructure. And when we look at the alternative space, there's kind of more traditional alternatives. And then there's more hedge fund, like very active, you know kind of go anywhere manager uh, alternatives. And so the the traditional ones, in our view are commodities, real estate, and infrastructure. And these have more equity or beta to them. But real estate and commodities to us are much higher risk. Uh, in fact, their standard deviation, a measure of risk, is actually higher than global equities. So global equities have about eighteen uh, percent standard deviation over the last three years. Uh, real estate has almost 22, and commodities have about 19. So those parts of the market are much higher risk traditional alternatives, and we don't like that. But in the infrastructure space, and if you're more utility-driven in the infrastructure space, you're able to take down the beta. Um, so you're looking at or standard deviation. Um, so that's one of our favorite places. It's it's you know businesses, you can look under the hood and understand the business. They throw off good cash flow. The dividend yield is decent. Um, you know, it's again what people need versus what they want. They can be a little bit of energy sensitivity, but we wouldn't go overboard there. Uh, so, infrastructure is one of our favorites in terms of alternative investments. Again, having more utilities, and that's a sector that we like in market intelligence. Uh, so, there's that. And then there's the other kind of go anywhere alternatives. And you know what we want to do is we want to be really thoughtful about risk management. And the way that we kind of think about alternatives is how much risk are we willing to take for the return that we're going to receive. And we also don't want to take too much concentration risk. Um, you know, in the alternative space, if you have one manager or one strategy and it's only going to outperform in some sort of environment, there can be a volatile performance profile or blueprint, if you will. But if you have a strategy, for example, that's maybe multi-alternative or absolute return that has a couple different levers in it, um, that can diversify the return stream and make it less volatile. You can also just do multi-alternative where you have some uh, a strategy that picks various different managers, various different strategies, and you're diversifying away the risk. And again, to us, it's all about risk management, this late, innings of the economic cycle, of the market cycle. And alternatives overall, that's the one thing that really you know has shown through is that they typically have lower risk than equities and, and other parts of the market. So leaning in more there um, and then finding more diversified implementation there is kind of uh, becoming more and more of an important part of what we're looking at cross-asset today.
0: Excellent. So Emily, as we look forward to the the, the second half or really the, the last section of the year, the next couple of months, what are the catalysts that you're looking for to give us more uh, direction on where, where things are going?
2: Yeah, I mean, all roads really lead back to central bank policy. Um, we have another Fed meeting on September 21st, so circle your calendar. Um, you know, And we've heard Fed officials essentially tell us that they are now you know, very much data dependent between now and then. And that's a bit of a shift because ever since the the first hike in March, the Fed has made really extensive use of, of forward guidance, which is just basically their words to, to tell us exactly you know what's coming next. Um, and this time they've told us they're waiting to see how the data unfolds. And, and that creates a lot of uncertainty. And I think just to reiterate you know Matt's words, um, I think he used risk management, you know a bunch of times and I think that's right. Um, You know, given the uncertainty on that front and the fact that these late cycle dynamics um, are playing out, you know, the the Fed typically raises rates until until something breaks. Um, And and that's what we're watching for. You know, we we have some pretty important data between now and that meeting on September 21st. We'll get another read on inflation with the August CPI report that comes out on September 13th. Um, We have another jobs report very imminently here. And the Fed's really looking for labor demand to cool, and we just haven't seen it yet. So the jobs report's gonna be really critical in terms of looking at the participation rate, looking at how that impacts wage growth. And then of course, we'll be keeping a really close eye on oil prices here. The energy market has essentially taken monetary policy, you know, hostage with the significant impact that oil prices have on inflation. So we'll really be watching that. You know, of course, there's the Russia-Ukraine war, which has had a significant impact on energy supply. It's really hard to handicap that, um, but we'll be, you know, looking at the geopolitical backdrop. We'll be looking at the supply-demand dynamics to understand, you know, what's next for oil prices and how that impacts inflation. But again, given the uncertainty, given this, you know, very choppy late-cycle period. Given inflation dynamics, I think, you know, swinging for the fences, which is what a lot of investors were doing, you know, during that sort of, you know, midsummer period that you highlighted, John, in our view, probably isn't the best uh, move here. And and I think, you know, notching up on quality, getting more defensive, you know, looking at four or 5% uh, yield on on higher quality bonds uh, really makes a lot of sense as we sort of sit through um, you know this this late cycle period, um, and and get through some of this uh, before we can start to add some more offense, um, potentially in twenty twenty three.
0: Excellent comments. You, you you mentioned the midsummer um, opportunities that people were taking advantage of. I'll go back further. I think uh, we know at John Hancock investing is never easy. Uh, if you go before COVID, the ten years before COVID, it was easier. We had a lot more tailwinds than headwinds. We're at a period now where we're heading into more uh, headwinds. If you are looking for help on how to navigate this late cycle market, we've got a ton of insight here on our website and through our business consultants to help you with that. Matt and Emily have a great piece on investing in late cycle investing on our website, jhinvestments.com. We will continue to stay on top of this through our our podcast. So we hope that you subscribe. But if you need some help and how to find the opportunities, because the other thing is there's opportunities in every market. Reach out to your local business consultant. Check out our website. We're always looking for those opportunities trying to help you uh, deliver better outcomes for your practice and your clients. Matt, Emily, always great to talk to you. Folks, thanks for listening, as always, to our show. Thanks, John. This podcast is being brought to you by John Hancock Investment Management Distributors, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker, are subject to change as market and other conditions warrant, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment strategy discussed will be successful or achieve any particular level of results. Any economic or market performance information is historical and is not indicative of future results, and no forecasts are guaranteed. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.